Welcome to the Sacred Lab Podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Stephen Jenkinson, author, cultural worker, farmer, father, to find out more about him and to get in contact with his work go to orphanwisdom.com I'd like to thank Natalie, his partner for handling the logistical side of this get-together I'd like to again thank Stephen for his time and I'd like to thank you for your attention and please enjoy this conversation with Stephen Jenkinson. I'd just like to do an initial acknowledgement of where I am at the moment. Um, I'm currently on unceded Tunurong land, and I want to acknowledge these generations gone and oncoming. I'd also like to give a heart-filled welcome to the ancestors of this place, human and fellow earthling. So... Thank you very much for being with me, Stephen. Um, this is a rather big deal for me, to be honest. Uh, there are, you're the, I'm more familiar with your work than I am with any other individual. Um, I've been, been reading or rather listening to, to you for, several years now I think it was late 2019 when I got my copy of Come of Age and uh, it really helped me through a through a difficult time um, so I, I'm wary to just kind of immediately leap into questions I kind of I, I am I would like to respect uncertainty in this situation we don't know each other we don't know what's going to come up through this conversation um so i think i think to begin with um i uh i had a friend reach out recently and offer me a, a, a question to, to, to prompt you with. And it seems like a rather fruitful area of inquiry. Mm -hmm. um, he essentially asked, uh, does the land grieve? I'm wondering if anything comes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, remember, this is a human asking the question. Yeah. So the chances are that the human frame of reference for grief may not be quite adequate for the land's uh, repertoire. One. Two, I'm not persuaded that there's such a thing as the land. I know it's a uh, handy. Uh, I know it serves a lot of, um, it's like the ultimate post-it note for what you mean. But I think if, at least if you pluralize it, you're sure. getting somewhere, right? Okay. Because uh, it's not one place. 
any more than there's a thing called humanity, right? So, um, so then the next thing is, well, different places, different ways, uh, as as it goes with human culture and the rest. Mm. Yeah. So, so maybe thirdly of all, uh, there's a corollary question that belongs alongside this one, which would be: Does the land love, or do they? Excuse me. Do do the lands love? Because. It's pretty difficult to answer the one question without the presence of the other one there. Okay. So let me take a stab at the at joining them together. Um, at the risk of sounding formulaic, you could. Yeah, I'm wondering about the relationship between grief and love, of course, here now. And if we exempt ourselves from the kind of rather narrow and hollow echo chamber of what we usually mean by romantic love and then imagine everything as a subset of romantic love when in actual fact it's nothing could be further from the truth and our poverties are very much manifest in this narrow understanding we have of love i'll go on a limb and suggest the first part is not going to raise too much ire or attention or eyebrows the second maybe more so the first one is this Grief is the love that you have for that which has passed from view. So grief is a kind of love. I don't think anybody's overly challenged by that notion because it's hard to fathom setting yourself on a course of grief without some kind of fundamental attachment that you could characterize as love that the, the, the grief will ride along, if you will, to, in order to become manifest. <clears throat> and then that particular formulation that suggests that there has to be a degree of goneness that's a kind of the official prompt or, or, or maybe a midwife to the kind of grief that the question is asking me about. There has to be a degree of love and a degree of grief, somehow hand in hand. But is it not possible or a given that if grief is a kind of love, which is easier for us to recognize, that it seems proper to imagine that love, that would be a kind of grief that we have for that which has not yet passed from view, but which surely will. If we allow those two things to have their, their kinship, that would be my answer to your friend's question. I should hope so. In fact, we, we probably take our marching orders on grief and love from the firmament, from the fundament, from the, that which underlies, which is maybe what they meant by land. Maybe then also it's important to uh, to explore what it is to love. Like how do we, you know, that's probably similar to 
different places, different ways. Um, but what is it to love if if it's the uh, if it's grief for what has yet passed, which is not yet passed, which is not yet passed, right? Well, uh, what what does it? How does it more often manifest than not? So I was in the death trade, which is a pretty good laboratory for the kind of question you're asking me. I can tell you that grief was, excuse me, that love was entered, entered into as a kind of baptismal font to staunch or hold at bay the endings that were oncoming. The notion, for example, that if you love somebody enough, then they somehow will be exempt from the natural order of things, that you will achieve a kind of miraculous deliverance, which of course is completely temporary. It's, I mean, it's the great Lazarus example, isn't it? That Lazarus was rescued literally from the grave. So that what? So that when all the, when, when there's carnival passes by and goes to another town, our man Lazarus is left behind to have to go through the whole thing all over again which nobody ever wrote up in the Bible and which seems to bear no consideration at all. But I think about that a lot. Yeah. So this is what we would do with, with our power to deliver our, our friends and kin from, uh, from the big one is that we would oblige them to go through it all again some other time, preferably, I suppose, after we're gone. I don't know. It makes it somehow doable. So, <clears throat> So love is more than often than not entered into it as a kind of insurance arrangement to take the worst of the slings and arrows and blunt their force and delay their consequence, which you have to imagine once you give it five minutes real consideration. There's not a lot of compassion in that approach. In other words, if you can't love the end, it's not clear that you're loving at all. That's what I would say. It's not clear that you're loving at all. You might be pleading for more, imagining that that's what love is. And, the, you know, these, these questions, it's kind of seductive to make these grand overarching statements about what, quote, love is and it isn't. And, you know, I don't know. I, and I have, no, I have no obligation to have a spandex answer. You know what I mean? It's a kind of neoprene answer that fits everything. Sure. But uh, I can tell you that in the death trade, I saw a lot of things trafficked in as if they were love, which is very unsteady and very unclear that that's what, that's what it was. So we, one of two things got to give, either we're wrong about what love is or we're right and that's not love. See? And it's much more palpable, for example, in circumstances where it's the child who's dying and the parents are looking on which I was, you know, I saw a lot of that. And I mean, that's, that is no doubt a kind of hell on earth. There's no doubt, uh, but it's not quote unnatural. And to that extent, at least it doesn't appear to be wrong. It appears to be in the natural order of things that the natural order includes that. So if you can't love the natural order of things because there's things that appear in it, that challenge your understanding of love, then maybe your understanding of love is the thing that has to be wondered about, not the natural order of things.
The other thing to say is uh, that I think belongs here is, you know, I don't know, have any idea about your corner of the world. Re not really, although I've been there several times. But uh, my corner of the world, though, the understanding of love is um, is obtained fairly early on in life. That is basically in the first two decades of your existence, your take on things firms up as some kind of, that's the way it is thing. And it rarely gets wondered about thereafter. So basically, you have an adolescence understanding of life or a child's that informs your take on love. And that's what you lead with for the rest of your days. And who, for example, could possibly, as a life partner, could possibly live up to your 13-year-old's expectation of what a, somebody should be to you? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So it's not easy for your, for your love to mature because there's a lot of cost, isn't there? A lot of naivete is gone. A lot of um, simplicity is gone. A lot of that childhood hankering for for absolutes, you know, un, unsullied absolutes, that's gone. And um, and now you're trying to find a, a, a kind of love that's recognizable and works in the world, not something that's hostile to the world or alien from it. Mm. Finally, then, you could imagine that, uh, that a, a grown-up understanding of love, that might be your real, those are your citizenship papers for real. Yeah. That um that brings to mind uh uh just I don't know, a little bit about me. I uh I turned 30 earlier this year and um I didn't think that that would mean much, but it it has. It's been one of the more challenging years and kind of actually trying to shuck some of that adolescent hull that has stuck around perhaps a little too long. And um, definitely one of the things that's come up is uh, how I am with others and that that hasn't, um, you know, for me it seems like that firmed up real early and I haven't uh, shifted that very very far you know it's kind of as long as i'm getting something and as long as i can recognize it as beneficial then um then it's all good and when that's not the case then surely something's wrong you know love shouldn't love shouldn't be this tragic difficult thing it should be easy you know it should be straightforward and and bright colors and beautiful flowers and right it um, should be it should be straightforward but not ordinary yeah yeah exactly yeah what a strange <laughs> what a strange shopping list that is yeah. yeah yeah i should be able to get it off the shelf but it should be unique as well it's got to fit you like a glove yeah but easy to obtain. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, and it's also seemingly, it's, uh, it's not necessarily something I can, I can work on 
by myself. It seems to be that the learnings occur in in the 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 uh, in the fray of connection in within a relationship is where or within the various relationships is where what I know to be love is tested and shifts and changes or doesn't. Um, and and doesn't yeah yeah and so i'm wondering uh like for me i'm i'm wondering how i go about it without um i don't know part of me is kind of a little concerned that i'll just drag another person through a bunch of bullshit and i won't learn and it'll just be the repeat again um yeah it's um i don't know i don't know if there's anything there for you to work with like for you say like when you were um you know i've heard you talk about kind of some of the maybe not the right way to put it but some failed relationships or some relationships that maybe ended before their expected time Did those things inform you or did those things change you such that you were able to show up renewed to a relationship, to the next relationship? Or uh, were you still hanging on to all of that and you just had to uh, get rid of the baggage within the context of a new relationship? Well, first of all, I wouldn't if I would recommend that you not employ phrases like get rid of the baggage. This suggests that the part of you that you or the part of your your take on things that you're least willing to identify yourself with anymore is like, um, you know, spent jet trash that you're just flushing down the toilet. You're up in the sky and you're flying and it's gone and all is well, right? In actual fact, it's much more like a toxic dump than it is, quote, changing your mind. So if you maintain this notion of baggage, you are maintaining a notion of toxicity that goes with it, you see. And then, and then when you offload it, you're obliging, apparently, somebody else. It doesn't just, you know, transmogrify and turn into, I don't know, uh, peat moss for your garden. Not necessarily. I, I don't think so anyway. So, and the chances of you really offloading major parts of yourself are absolutely remote in any case. You, you don't, you don't, okay, I'll put it another way. How do you, can you change your mind? Although you're not aiming at mind here right now, but I will. Can, there's the question before us. Can you change your mind? Now, the chances are very good that there's the lion's share of you saying, Absolutely. In fact, I'm counting on it. In fact, I wouldn't be doing these podcasts if you couldn't, quote, change your mind. Okay. So, but you know, I'm going to mess with the, the obvious answer here and, and wonder about it in this fashion. Change is a bit of a neutral word for what you're describing here. Um, it's not strong enough. It's not surgical enough. It's not muscular enough, a word. 
but let's use it. How can you, how can you tell that your mind's changed? Well, I would just know. Yeah, but how would you know? In other words, is the part of you that knows about the change changed too? Mm. And, and the part of you that's calculating all this change and dialing it in and requiring it and, and, and all the rest, making the case for it and so on. Where's all that coming from? Is that part of the what needs changing? Or is that, that the part that you've deemed supportable and maintainable and you're going to hold on to that and that doesn't need changing, but that part of you would know that the rest of you is adequately changed and so on. What's the criteria for change? So in other words, I'm suggesting to you, no, you can't change your mind because even your criteria for changing your mind is itself an unchanged thing. You see, can your mind be changed though? I'd say so. But the chances of you doing that, not not very good. So that, that's why the communal life is frankly the optimal life not the interior life, the communal life. The communal life is where your mind gets changed. Which means the last 30 months for most of us has been a kind of inexpressible hell. Yeah, as you were talking, it started to, started to come in like, well, it is that uh, that reference back of like that thing changed you. That would come from the community. It would come from the community. One and two, you would not be the boss. Yeah. So you'd be a lousy North American, for example. Since uh, we over here uh, are so addicted to self-determination and sovereignty and personal control and autonomy and all of that stuff, all of these things mitigate against the possibility of your mind being <clears throat> profoundly and sustainably changed. Because you would, you would exercise the out clause on all the things you don't think you should have to go through all the things you think are inauthentic or don't belong or, or you're above or, you know, that sort of thing. So this is, this is tough, you know, the, the, the idea that you can actually grow from experience is, the, the odds, I mean, the evidence is not strong that that's what happens. I don't say that it doesn't happen, but the evidence is not strong that you can design it. There's a there's like big money in designing that, <laughs> doing exactly exactly that. That's right. Big money. Big money, man. Yep. Self is big money. Yeah. Village, not so much. Yeah, that uh, yeah, it 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 confirms for me a couple of little niggling things in the back of my mind that uh, yeah, I haven't really been willing to 
expose myself to um of just like <laughs> probably can't do this by yourself or you can't do this by yourself um hmm. that um that brings up for me uh Uh, you and I had a very minor interaction a couple of years ago. Uh, very minor. I asked you a question and it was presented by someone else. Um, it was during the uh, Stone Fence saga that you did, I think, at the end of 2020. Right. Um, and I was asking about... uh essentially like how do i how do i move on to land without bringing all of the the toxic civilized stuff with me um i even posed it what does it look like and i very much enjoy that you were like <laughs> you you essentially laughed that part of it off <laughs> um and But you said something, and it's been. Uh, I, I, I've I've been working with it um, because it was it was quite profound, and it seems to have um, it seems to continually find stronger and stronger legs in my life. And you said, uh, "Be responsible without owning." Mm -hmm. And. Um, More and more, that's becoming a, a a very wise perspective, a wise set of um, marching orders, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because there's there, there's a lot of the a lot of the 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 class privilege of being um, of the the dominant culture and the, I don't know, the, the one that stands out as some kind of, um, uh, century for the whole thing. And, um, kind of the, the, the sense of not, at least the, this is what's been rolling around my mind today in, in, in regards to it, the not owning, and still being responsible is kind of part of the, I don't know, a sense of relinquishing uh, what, uh, kind of stumbling over it all, um, essentially giving up that uh, forever title and allowing allowing the 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 proceedings to take their natural course is being responsible without owning it's that the times are changing um how we are for and with each other has to shift dramatically and that ownership is like uh 
deep attachment and it doesn't it doesn't permit um it doesn't open the door for the various changes to come in or the various uh disfigurings to come in um yeah i wonder yeah i just wonder if 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 you can speak to that a little bit, just the being responsible without owning. Well, again, I, I speak from a North American circumstance, but I can tell you that here we're quite profoundly addicted to being beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. That's the workout for me. That's what working out means. Even if it's secondarily working out for me, I still have to be in the mix as a beneficiary. So, but the formulation that you were kind enough to attribute to me is a, is a circumstance in which you're a benefactor, not a beneficiary. That you're making benefit, not reaping benefit. And if you want to get a little cagey about it, you could say your benefit is being in the position of being able to make benefit, not reap it. But I don't see any readiness to set aside the payday for the sake of the work. No. So if you're asking me, as I, am I guessing that it's going to get a lot worse before it gets otherwise? Yep. That's why I'm doing the Knights of Grief and Mystery show, which I believe we're coming to your country in March. That's the talk right now. That's why I'm doing it. I'm doing it to say, listen, it's too late for a lot of the things you think are possible. Now, if you don't have the stomach for that, it's not clear you got the stomach for the work that a troubled time visits upon us, you see? So that's what I mean about making the distinction between getting paid and doing the work. Hopeful people want to get paid first, called feeling positive, feeling hopeful about the likelihoods, and then you can count on them. Then they'll do the work. Well, you got to stay hopeful. You can't, you know, the, the, there's a piece in the show called Fate, which is off uh, the last record called uh, Rough Gods. And there's a section, the third section, that says something like, um, I'm talking to a guy. And we're talking about this very subject, but apropos of, you know, the younger, a younger generation than us. And he said, you can't tell the kids it's too late. He said, it had just, it'd kill them. They'll sit on a street corner. They'll self-medicate to oblivion. You got to keep them engaged. And I said, engaged? Hooked, you mean? Hooked on hope. Uh, hope, it spoils your taste for work. It spoils your taste for the way it is. That's just what it does. Nobody hopes for the way it is. We hope for the way it isn't. See, that's the dynamics of looking forward. Mm. Yeah. So my plea is to look down, look around. Don't look forward. Any, any fool can look forward. That's like, uh, you know, you're on one of those roundabouts. I don't know if you got them in your country, but... Uh, when they first started introducing it, well, I was in Ireland the first time I was beset by one. I couldn't get off it. I just couldn't figure it out, you know. So it got to the point where you're realizing any idiot can miss their exit once. 
but it takes a particular kind of idiotic expertise to miss it three and four times. But that's the zone we're in now, I think, missing our opportunity for things to be otherwise three, four, and five times. And COVID-19 was one of those times. Yeah, I was going to say, you've uh, you've mentioned before that it, you know, maybe putting it a little a little darker than most people are used to, but it wasn't bad enough. It wasn't It didn't get bad enough. Yeah. Not enough people died. I mean, this is an awful thing to say. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, if, there, yeah. if there had been piles of bodies on the streets, which was the initial fear, then I don't know if our attention would be easier to get. I really don't know. Because then there would have been a whole other dynamic of futility and pointlessness and annihilation. And I, I mean, I, I genuinely don't know what it's going to take for our meager and paltry attention span to be trained upon the circumstances as they are. I think mine is, but I don't find many takers. So even the Knights of Grief and Mystery um, audiences are one half or less what they were in 2019. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the expenses for mounting a show are twice what they were. So you can easily do the math yeah. on how, how likely an event something like this is to keep a band on the road when the people are, are citing, you know, compassion fatigue as a reason to stay home and watch Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, you know, it gets it gets a little scary out there. Um, In here too. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely to pay attention. Um, and uh, you know, keep your eyes open, keep looking around. It's not the easiest thing to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I don't, I don't see a lot of takers in my cohort either. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's, you know, there's plenty of lip service to it and it's real easy to find the space to say, um, you know, like, uh, Oh, well, you know, maybe I'll have a veggie garden out the back and that'll be how I, how I approach the limitations or, uh, maybe I'll, I'll do less trips to the op shop to buy things or maybe I'll, you know, and there's, there's pretty well always that, that, uh, prefix kind of diminishing of your involvement with the maybe or the possibly um yeah i don't i haven't i haven't seen a lot of that like the 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 harrowing that you see when you make eye contact with someone who you know is just 
steadily paying attention and they're not looking for a way out. I don't, I don't, I don't see it many places. Um, I don't even see if, yeah, I don't know if I'd really see it anywhere. Um, I think that's kind of one of the things that keeps bringing me back to your work and your words. Because uh, it's not easy to spend a lot of time listening to you and attempting to do the do the work. Um, you know, I've heard you say it's it's difficult on the chassis, and uh, that's right. And it is, you know, um, yeah. but there's there there's that thing there of like, but this is what you've got to do. Like, there's no there's no way out. Well, of I course, give there, a shit about. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but there, there yeah, of course, sorry. there's myriad ways yeah. out. There really are. It's not to say that any of them work, but there's lots mm. of ways out, right? There's a lot of grief bypasses. There's countless numbers of them. There's all the distract. There's despair. You know, there's, it's not easy to listen to you. That's a way out. Okay. So let's, let's put the emphasis on the right syllable. Clearly there's lots of ways out. If there were no way out, you would have no choice. If you had no choice, you would have no agency. No choice. Okay. But you do have choices. And most of your choices are in the manner of how to be okay again as quickly as possible. Mm. Whereas, you know, being okay in a time like this is, it's truancy. Yeah. But the, that the notion that you, you only have the polar opposite available to you of being okay then. Being, you know, miserable and crazy all the time. Well, look. Just look, okay? You're talking to somebody who, for whom this is a fairly steady diet. And I can promise you I'm not depressed. And I can promise you it's not an inevitability. But there are costs to doing business. Surely there are. And being okay is one of those costs. Okay, so here's the thing. I said, in the same piece that I referred to earlier, I said, you can tell the kids it's not too late if you want them to vote for you. But you can't tell them it's not too late if you respect them. There. So there's a certain proving ground. It's a kind of killing ground, too. And what dies is this notion that there's infinite possibility, and all we got to do is think a good thought. I mean, I wouldn't want to be anywhere near a group of people that are willing to proceed that way. So my thing is, learn the, the, the um, poverties. Learn the poverties. Learn how it got this way. Devote yourself to not being a stranger to what it means to be human. Not human potential, human actual. That's your citizenship. You know, human actual movement would be something I could get behind. Not human potential movement, though. Couldn't care less. 
just another friggin' idea of what could be. Nah. So, you know, it's a troubled time. So then why would you expect that the way, the way wouldn't be a troubled way? Why would you expect that you could get, you know, an exemption clause working for you where you could be in the midst of a troubled time and just be relatively speaking, you know, going, okay, listen, it's, it's important to acknowledge. You said the thing about the vegetable garden and, uh, you know, other such undertakings by all means, of course, listen, I, for one, and I don't think you were either diminishing or, or, or trivializing the idea of, of, you know, doing good by a piece of ground. Absolutely. By all means, do it, but don't overestimate its consequence in the greater scheme of things. But do understand that it's one of the ways available to you to find a way to say yes in a time that, that dares you to say yes. It's a way of saying amen. And my understanding of the meaning of the word amen is this. Amen doesn't mean yes. It doesn't mean I get it. It doesn't mean it's all good. <laughs> it mean, Amen means something like this. I have no idea, but I'm in. Mm. Yeah, I'm in. So that's what I'm saying. I'm in. And vegetable gardens is a way in? Absolutely. But if you got no ground, you don't get an out clause. Right? So learn something else. Learn something else that stretches you to the breaking point that doesn't accommodate your formal limitations. Now I should say at the risk of being a little, sounding a little pushy and a little harsh, uh, I got things I have to get to fairly soon here on the farm. I'm sorry that that's yeah, yeah. true. So yeah. it, if you have two questions before you that you'd like me to address something very specific, I'm happy to do it. And maybe we could yeah. proceed that way now. Cool. Excellent. I appreciate that. Okay. Well, I do. I think probably it's something that I, I don't hear you talk about a lot, but what I do hear you talk about is that someone's probably not going to publish the book is uh, matrimony, patrimony, ceremony. marriage, like ceremonializing, you know, the, this kind of thing. If, if you could speak on that for a couple of minutes, I would I'd, I'd love well, that. Well, what, why don't you ask me a, a specific question about it? Because it's just to tell me to speak about something sure. is not, not a lot of direction. Okay. Um, Well, in 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 lieu of the trouble, what is what is <laughs> uh, is fathering more important than ever in this time of trouble? When maybe fathering has kind of been compromised by uh being okay all the time well i don't think that's um the singular compass com 
compromising of, of fatherhood at all. I think fatherhood is is uh, shamed almost into non-existence uh, during the course of your lifetime. This has happened. So um, do I think it's more important than ever? Well, that's a bit grandiose. I don't know about ever, but um, could we use it? I'd say so. As long as we understand that the principle of fathering is not the biomechanics of child production. That's not principally what fathering is. Fathering doesn't require bio children because fathering is a function. It's not an identity, right? It's a, it's a position. It's a, it's an undertaking that you occupy, not something you are. And if the empty nest so-called thing doesn't tell you anything, it should tell you that. Like you get to do that for a while, but you're never, that's never your personhood, right? So that means that you're cap capable and it's mandatory that you see it this way of fathering a culture. Of course, not single-handedly, of course not. But, but this is the undertaking. And, and this is why you have a kind of um, force field relationship, I would call it, between matrimony and patrimony. I mean, you just never hear the word patrimony. If you happen to be an anthropology major in university, you've heard the word. It generally means the kind of cultural flotsam and jetsam, uh, uh, the material flotsam and jetsam of a culture, pottery and you know, clothing style and you know, things of this kind, weapons and stuff like that. That's the word, what it means. Well, what patrimony actually is, is the undertaking of the provisioning of a culture in culturally specific, culturally appointed fashion. That's what it means. It means to provision a culture. And it actually precedes matrimony. Because matrimony is the mothering of a culture, right? Not only in the form of producing children, in fact, not even principally that way, but in the form of of lending oneself to the furthering of a culture in large measure by virtue of uh, the immense transformations that come with childbearing. But matrimony precedes childbearing. I mean, in the conventional sense of the sequence, <coughs> that the idea of marrying precedes procreation. Why? To establish the the container, if you will, that can hold the volatility, which is procreation. And that container is not to limit, it's to find a way to employ in a way, in a way that's livable uh, the, the mandate for increase that uh, procreation detonates. And what the patrimonial function is, which precedes that function, is to provision the circumstances such that the container can hold. And if that saves, sounds cavemanish, that's because it is. Because it goes that far back, I suspect. Yeah. I mean, there's a tremendous amount to say, but somebody's got to write a book, you know. Yeah. I'll yeah, do what I, I'll, I'll, I'll do what I can in over the yeah. next 18 months or so, I think. Excellent.
Well, look, I will, I'll let you go now. Stephen, this has been an absolute pleasure. I've relished my time with you today. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I wish you best of luck with your baby naming ceremony coming Thank up. You. That's wonderful. Um, and I'll I'll plug all your shows and your Great. new book, and I'll do all that on the on the other side of this conversation. Very good. Thank you, man. And listen, Excellent. if uh, we'll see if if things work out, we'll see you on your home turf uh, sometime in the early part of next year. Excellent. I will definitely be there. Okay, man. Thanks for your time, man. Huh? Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate okay. it, brother. Okay, take, take care. care of yourself. Yep, bye-bye.